Hello everyone, I'm your host Luke, and uh, this is more of a solo episode, but um, I'll still introduce my co-host, Gerard. Hey just be here for the commentary. Yeah, he's the uh, backup host. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today we're going over one of the more, uh, I'll say, weird disappearances. And this is a Flannan Isles Lighthouse. And that is a lighthouse near the highest point on Eileen Moor, one of the Flannan Isles on the outer edges of the west off the west coast of mainland Scotland. And it is best known for the dis, disappearances of its keepers in 1900. It is a 23 meter 75 foot tall lighthouse for those in a, of us in America uh, that was designed by David Allen Stevenson for the Northern Lighthouse Board. Uh, it cost 1900 euros uh, to build, and all of the materials used to build it had to be hauled up a up the 148-foot-tall cliffs directly from supply boats. Holy moly. That is... Could you imagine that? 148-foot-tall cliffs, Jared, and you had to rope everything up from, you know, like supply boats floating down below that. Just get to... all above there. And it's a... It's a good-sized lighthouse. Wow. Um, so now we go to the main story, the disappearance. It was a transatlantic steamer by the name of Arctur that first noticed something was wrong. On its voyage to the port of Leith from Philadelphia, the Arctur passed the lighthouse on the Flannan Isles on the night of the 15th of December, 1900, and the crew saw that its light was off. After docking in Leith three days later, the news was passed on to the Northern Lighthouse Board that something was amiss at Flannan. Um, the board dispatched the Lighthouse Relief t Tendership, the Hesperus, to investigate. Arriving at the island on Boxing Day, that's a Canadian holiday, the ship's captain, Jim Harvey, sounded his horn and sent up a flare, hoping to alert the three lighthouse keepers by the names of James Ducott, Thomas Marshall, and William MacArthur. There was no response. Disembarking from the Hesperus, the relief lighthouse keeper, Joseph Moore, set off up the 160 steep steps to the lighthouse. Three giant black birds were perched on the cliffs above him that looked at him as he made his way up. Reaching the lighthouse compound and entering the living quarters, Moore noticed that the clock on the kitchen wall had stopped, the table was set for a meal that had never been eaten, and a chair had been toppled over. A canary in a cage was the only sign of life. Returning to the eastern landing, Moore reported his findings to the captain of the Hesperus 
and Harvey sent another two sailors to shore, and they and more began looking for signs of life. After a thorough search of the lighthouse, they turned up nothing but a set of oil skins, suggesting that one of the keepers had ventured out in just his shirt sleeves. The men turned their attention to the landing platform on the west side of the island. Here there was plenty of evidence that the island had recently been hit by a massive storm. A supply box had been smashed open and its contents were strewn across the ground despite being over 100 feet above the sea level. Iron railings on the side of the path had been bent and twisted out of shape. Part of a railway track had been torn from its concrete moorings and a huge rock weighing more than a ton had been displaced. Turf had also been ripped up from the tops of the cliffs, 200 feet above sea level, yet there was no sign of the three keepers. So what had happened? Well, uh, Harvey is quoted as writing, Poor fellows, they must have been blown over the cliffs or drowned trying to secure a crane or something like that. And that was his conclusion in a telegram to the Northern Lighthouse Board after the Hesperus returned to port. Um, so Harvey had left Moore and three sailors, uh, behind to tend to the light and continue the search. They scoured the islands for the three missing men, but never found anything. Arriving on the island on December 29th, the board superintendent, Robert Muirhead, uh, it's M-U-I-R-H-E-A-D, began an investigation into the keeper's disappearances. He knew all three of the missing men. What? I said that that name was difficult to pronounce. Yeah, I Moor Head, Mirror Head. I don't know. So he, he knew all three of them very well. Examining the oil skin that had been left behind, he concluded it had belonged to William MacArthur. And after going over the wreckage on the Western Landing, he speculated that Marshall and Ducat, Ducat. Uh, must have headed out into the storm to try to secure the equipment st stored there. When they did not return, he surmised that MacArthur must have ventured out to try to find them, which I guess I had never heard the part where, like, I, I think I had heard the part about the really bad storm that had hit the island, but, like, not the theory that they had just been blown. Like, that would suck, like, you get blown off the cliffs and yeah, you know true. during a really bad storm i mean like let, let let's say you hit your head on the way down like there there'd be no evidence of like you know anything like even the blood trail uh because All blown the, off the ocean yeah this the 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 storm and everything would have just washed it all away um, so the guy re reported in his official report saying, from evidence which I was able to procure, I was satisfied that the men had been on duty up till dinner time on Saturday, the 15th of December, that they had gone down to secure a box in which the mooring ropes, landing ropes, etc., were kept. And that was secured in a crevice in the rock about 110 feet above sea level. And that an extra large uh, wave 
had rushed up the face of the rock, had gone above them, and coming down with immense force, had swept them completely away. Um, so the public, though, wasn't as um, satisfied with that explanation. So there were um, people saying that the men had been gobbled up by a giant sea serpent or whisked away by a huge seabird. One theory had the men leave the island by boat to escape debts, while another had them spirited away by the skeletal crew of a ghost ship. Uh, some people even thought the men had been kidnapped by foreign spies. Um, I, I've also heard that one theory that they were just, you know, abducted by aliens. <laughs> the giant sea monster theory, <clears throat> like Loch Ness Monster, just yeah. came up and ate them during the storm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so more doubt was cast on the official investigation with the emergence of a logbook, uh, supposedly containing several entries between the 12th and 15th of December. In his first entry, Marshall was supposed to have written that a great storm, the likes of which he had never seen before, had hit the island. He continued that Ducat was unusually quiet when the storm hit, and MacArthur was weeping. A second entry had all three men praying in the eye of the monster storm, and a third and final entry, supposedly written on the 15th, states that the storm had passed and all was now calm. And uh, on hearing about the existence of these logbooks entries, many questioned the idea that the men had been swept out to the sea. Um, if anyone had died, surely whoever wrote this December 15th entry would have mentioned this. Um, so the explanation is the logbook entries were injected into the story several years after they had disappeared. And there was no evidence whatsoever that the logbook had ever existed. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> the logbook never existed in the first place. <laughs> so, apparently people are just running... Um, wild at this point. And then what's kind of sad is that, um, okay, so like there's this other um, website that like doesn't mention the part that the logbook, you know, was like, wasn't mentioned in the original report. Because um, on this website it says, uh, the relief keeper, Joseph Moore, was sent to investigate further and found the main door and gate to the compound closed, the beds unmade, and the clock stopped. They also found a set of oil skins, suggesting one of the keepers to have left without them. Can you look up what a 1900s oil skin is, Jared? Um, yep. Unusual yeah. and worrying considering the poor weather conditions that had been recorded in the log. Uh, the island was scoured for clues or any sign of the keepers, but nothing was found. 
The West Landing had received considerable damage with turf ripped up and a box of supplies destroyed with its contents strewn about. The keeper's log proved that this damage had occurred before the disappearance. The log leading up to the men's disappearance included some strange entries with descriptions of an awful storm, high winds, and low spirits among the keeper. It's important to stress that, you know, that log doesn't pop up until years after the first-hand reports were mentioned, so... I disregard that part. Um, there were, however, no reports of storms in that area in the days leading up to this disappearance on the 15th of December, meaning that the poor weather recorded, or sorry, the poor weather conditions recorded in the log were either made up or localized. Um, so I found the oil skin. It's a waterproof garment typically worn by sailors in other wet areas, including fish plant workers. So it's like that, um, it's like a yellow suit kind of thing, like a rain jacket almost. Um, like if you ever have seen like uh, uh, crab fishermen on a boat um, going out to the oceans, kind of like that, what they wear. That's what an oil skin is. Right. It's a waterproof garment. Which would be really important. I... I've only ever worn like uh, waterproof boots, you know, like when it rains really bad up at uh, the second location, Jared. And I, I, I can't, you know, for like $10 boots, you know, rain boots, those are so nice. You know, like they're just simple rubber boots, but you know, like when you're, you're having to walk, you know, like up to your, you know, ankles and water and whatnot and mud. It's a big difference. Yeah, I know. It's super nice. <laughs> um, so a more logical theory is the psychology of the lighthouse keepers had played a part in their disappearance. MacArthur had a reputation for brawling and was known to be violent. It is suggested by some that a fight broke out on the cliff edge, causing the men to fall to their fate. Um the designer of the Flannan Isle Lighthouse, one David Allen Stevenson, also designed the Tarbit Ness Light, which is on display at the National Maritime Museum. And da, 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 da. it was designed built because of the loss of 16 vessels in the Moray Fifth Storm in 1826 on Tarbit Ness. So it seems the most likely thing that happened to them was they got, I mean, the, the most logical one is like a, the storm was really bad or like a giant, you know, they were out on the cliffs and a giant wave or whatever, whether it was a storm that caused it or whatever came up and, you know, caught them, and knocked all three of them down. Doesn't that sound like the most likely one? Yeah, that sounds sounds um, like the most likely one is, you said like a storm came through and knocked them all down and pushed them off the cliff? Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to end, end on... That's, that's what you were saying, right? Yeah. 
And what I think it could be, because they said there was no weather in the area, I think it could have been like a microburst of wind, which do happen in their localized uh, weather uh, phenomena, and sometimes those winds could get up to hurricane speeds. Um, so that's very likely. Yeah, I, I, I mean, whether there's a wave or, or like a gust of wind that they were on, like, you know, like a cliff face. Yeah. And, like, that's why there was no signs. As you know, they just went out there... You know they were gonna come right back because dinner was prepared, and then they just they just whatever happened they just got knocked off the cliffs, and that's why no one ever found any um, evidence because they're you know they had drowned, and you know the whether they hit their head or whatever when they fell down the cliff, um, you know the water or natural elements had uh washed away all the evidence because you know it said that you know the like a ship was the first to notice that there was no light at the lighthouse and then they went and reported that and then they finally you know the local authorities sent somebody to go investigate so it at least had been a couple days before you know anybody even noticed these men were gone Um, so I'd like to end on a, uh, some speculation, speculation and conjecture. No bodies were ever found, but there have been some mysterious sightings resulting in, quote, fascinated national speculation in newspapers and articles of the era. Um, da, 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 the sea serpent that they had arranged for a ship to take them away and start new lives, that they had been abducted by foreign spies, or they had met their fate through the presence of a boat filled with ghosts. Um, more than 10 years later, the events were still being commemorated and elaborated on. There's a 1912 ballad, Flannan Isle, by a Wilfred Wilson Gibson, that refers erroneously to an overturned chair, an uneaten meal laid out on the table, indicating that the keepers had been suddenly disturbed. Quote, Yet, as we crowded through the door, we only saw a table spread for dinner, meat, and cheese and bread, but all untouched and no one there, as though when they sat down to eat, air they could even taste. Alarm had come, and they in haste had risen and left the bread and meat. For at the table, had a chair lay tumbled on the floor. Um, however, in a first-hand account made by Moore, uh, quote, the kitchen utensils were all very clean, which is a sign that it must be after dinner or sometime they left. So I'm confused. They, they had already eaten dinner? Yeah, like they already eaten dinner and then they cleaned off their plates. And yeah, and like they cleaned it up. Okay, so it wasn't like, you know, dinner was ready or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And if and if it was before they had cooked, they would have already been preparing food or something along those lines, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that's what they're alluding to. I I think they just got knocked out to sea. I, I, I don't think there's anything really mysterious here besides that, you know, there's no evidence of their death 
I think they just got flung out to sea. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think it was a microburst, um, which is like a instance of extremely high downward winds, um, and they're very localized to a specific little region. And I think it was a microburst that hit the edge of the it hit the edge of the cliff and flung everyone off because those microbursts they'd reach hundreds of miles per hour wind wise, at least a hundred if not more. Right. So, um, so what what you're referring to, Jared, is also called a down burst. Yep. And it is a. And that's what I. Go go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. You, you're probably reading an article. Go for it. Okay, so a downburst is a strong ground level wind system that emanates from a point source above and blows radially in straight lines in all directions from the point of contact at ground level, um, often producing damaging winds and may be confused with a tornado where high-velocity winds circle a central area and air moves inward and outward. Um, and by contrast, in a downburst, winds are directed downward and then outward from the source, the surface landing point. Um, Wouldn't that make sense, though, if the downburst hit on the, uh, the shore behind the cliff and then it pushed, the, the wind pushed them off the cliff like that? And that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, um, so they're saying like uh, downbursts create vertical wind shear, which is dangerous to aviation, especially during landing due to the wind shear caused by its gust front. Uh, several fatal and historic crashes have been attributed to this phenomenon over the past several decades, and flight crew training goes to great lengths on how to properly recognize and recover from a microburst slash wind shear event. They usually last for seconds to whole minutes. And they go through three stages in the cycle, the downburst, the outburst, and the cushion stages. I mean, on the illustration, Jared, it just, you know, like it shows the clouds and then like a direct, I guess, vortex, vertical vortex that just hits the ground and, you know, spreads out in all directions. And, you know, if these guys are, like, standing right there on the cliff or right by it, they could very easily, you know, just get knocked off. So yep. I, I agree that that's very possible that that's what happened. You know, if there was no storm, those are reported. Um, yeah, and it's just a random weather phenomenon that just happened to occur. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't think we'll ever know, like everybody's saying. Yeah. So. Um, Anyways, uh, thanks for listening, guys. This has been your host, Luke, and my co-host. Uh, Gerard, I just wanted to add one more thing. Um, those straight lines of wind could get over 240 kilometers per hour or 150 miles per hour. Um, and so that's plenty fast enough to push someone off a cliff. That's, that's all I wanted to add, and I hope you guys have a great night. Yeah. Bye. Peace.